Good morning, Village Church East. I am so glad to see you this morning. My name is Craig. I am the lead pastor here at Village Church East. And the reason I was a little late getting up here is because I constantly forget these now. Isn't that horrible? Just a reminder to me, I'm growing up to be as old as Brent. So that's all. <laughs> uh, no, it's great to see you this morning. Uh, today we are, uh, I'm excited because we have so many things on the horizon that um, that are really cool for our church. We've begun our community groups. We're doing a baptism next Sunday in a public pool. Uh, if you've never experienced that, it is quite amazing. Um, met with our candidates already, uh, and they are excited about being baptized. A little nervous, but they're going to do great. Uh, father and son, so it's going to be very cool. Also, we have uh, several folks that I've been meeting with recently that uh, are ready to put their name uh, to ours and join with us on what we're doing here at Carroll Stream and we're excited about that as well. So the Lord has been very, very good to us and uh, is, is really blessing our church. Uh, answered prayers, not only in, in those areas, but personally answered prayers on a, a large scale. Uh, difficult things that people have been working through and there's grace upon grace that God has given to us. So, once in a while, I'd like to take a moment before uh, opening God's Word just to spend a little time uh, in prayer. And I'd like to do that with you this morning. If you, I know we've already prayed, but yeah, maybe we should just pray and not preach sometimes. So I'll still preach, can't get out of that, but let's spend a few minutes and just uh, go to the Lord and give Him some, some, grace, some, some grateful hearts before we begin. Let's pray. So Lord, uh, I stand in front of these folks and every one of us has requests on our hearts, things that are very important to us that occupy our minds and our hearts and probably are very difficult even now to set aside because of the challenges that they pose in our lives. And sometimes those things can come in and draw our hearts away from you, be distractions for us. Uh, sometimes they can just get us downright discouraged. And so we give you thanks, first of all, that we have this moment to put aside those, those things and to give you the best of our time. This is our first of our days, the best that we have. Uh, it's, it's, it's a free day for many of us. Um, or there's, there's portions of it that, that are free for some of us, and, and we want to make sure, Lord, that we give you the best of our time. So it's not, it's not a big sacrifice, but all it does is hopefully, Father, it proclaims to you that you are very, very important to us. Uh, we can't do life without you, and so that's why we're here. We're here to hear from your word. We're here to sing of your praises. We're here to fellowship with one another. And in all of this, to get a boost that will help us and some, some information that will help us and, and a challenge from the Holy Spirit that will grip our hearts and help us, giving us gas to get us through the next week. So Father, I pray that you would, you would visit us in that. What you're already here, we need to know your presence. And so I pray that you would put aside all the distractions, all the things that, that rightfully occupy our thoughts and our lives and I pray that you would visit us in a very powerful way. Let us know you are here. And let us walk out of here with a very deep sense that we've been with you. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you've been answering prayers. I'm, I'm so amazed that uh, as a Calvinist, I, I don't fully understand how we can pray and you can answer when, when you are so sovereign and so providential. But Lord, you know when we pray, it makes a difference. And so, Father, I thank you for listening to our prayers. We want to be a praying church. We want to be a church that constantly comes before you 
not only with acknowledgement that we can't do life without you, but also with everything that comes into our minds and in our hearts, the first thing we do is cast out worry and go before you in prayer. And so, Father, we want to give you thanks for all the prayer things that you've requested, the, the times that we've come before you, and the, the answers that you have given. You are doing amazing things among us. And it's not because of us. It's not because of anything that we're doing. It's because you choose to still use us and you choose to still give us grace. So, Father, thank you for that. And I pray that you will continue to do that. Thank you for the ones that are getting baptized next week. Oh, Lord, thank you for the way that you're growing our church deep. It's exciting to see lives that are being changed and marriages that are being surrendered and personal struggles that are being uh, yielded to you and to your authority. I thank you for the way that you're changing our lives, and I thank you that we get to celebrate that best in the waters of baptism when we see uh, people get baptized and, and declare openly and physically and powerfully and visibly that you are doing an amazing thing in their lives, and they're growing. Thank you for that. Thank you for the way that you have uh, burdened others to look at what, ha what is happening here at Carroll Stream and say, we want to be a part of that, so I thank you for growing our ranks. I pray that you'll continue to do that. Help us to continue to have an impact for the kingdom of God like we should as believers, not to waste our times, but, but to, to take every moment seriously and to pour into each other's lives just as you did for us. And right now, that's really important. As we open your word, may you rid our lives of any obstacles that would help us and keep us from hearing what you have for us and let your Holy Spirit speak to us in powerful tones. Help us to hear him. Help us to understand him and help us to yield to him. And I pray, Father, that we would grow deeper even here in this, in this time that we have in this worship service now. I pray for the children as they learn right next door, powerfully impact their lives, help them to grow roots that are deep so that this culture doesn't knock them off kilter. And even in the nursery, as, as we pour into the lives of the littlest ones, May you help them to see love and grace that extends beyond their immediate families so that they can understand there's a powerful family that waits to do that all around the world, throughout time, the church, as we pour love and grace into each other's lives. So be with us today. Thank you again for all that you have done. Where would we be? Where would we be without you? Have your will and your way in our hearts as we now open your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are continuing our study in Genesis, and we're studying the conversion of Abraham. Now, Abraham, before he was converted, he was called Abram. We've already covered a lot of this, and so I don't want to uh, rehash all the things that we have uh, covered so far. But this particular Sunday is an interesting one because with Abraham, some things are going to happen today that help us understand the conversion that is still occurring in his life as he learns to live by faith. Hurricane Florence is still being cleaned up. A devastating hurricane that actually uh, came through the Carolinas and wrought havoc on the lives of all those folks along the coast and then many, many miles inland as well. I got some statistics from Hurricane Forest, uh, Florence. This category four hurricane that went down to a category one uh, by the time it hit land but it ended up dropping 36 inches of rain in Elizabethtown alone. Cape Fear River crested at 61 feet. That's 35 feet above what it normally would be. That was on September the 19th. 30 feet above normal levels. 
Uh, we won't know the full repercussions of this hurricane for quite some time. The crops, the damage to the crops is still being determined, but it's going to be enormous. Animals, 3.4 million chickens and turkeys and 5,500 hogs died in the flood that occurred. That's a lot of animals. Dozens of farms remained isolated with animals unable to be fed, and so there's more deaths uh, that will occur. The numbers are going up. This area has actually 9 million hogs, and many of the farms, hogs, and feces have poured into the river, and the water supply is going to be affected for months to come. On September the 16th, approximately 5 million gallons of partially treated waste water poured over into Cape Fear. And now they're afraid it's going to get into the, uh, into the drinking water. Not only that, but in a situation like this, mold is going to grow. Uh, mold can occur 24 to 36 hours. It grows on everything, behind everything, in everything, e even so far down as books. And there's going to be a lot of cleanup that is going to have to take place, and especially the fact that they, many places, still without power. And so that mold is only going to grow. Wound infections, you scratch an itch and you walk in this water, uh, you, s you, you run the risk of getting some sort of infections. Mosquitoes, can you imagine the mosquito situation down there? No, uh, no air conditioning in most of the areas, and so no air movement. The wind is what we feared, but a lot of damage is going to come from this water, from the repercussions of the storm that dumped over 40 inches of rain water in many of these areas. And although the storm is now over, the damage is continuing to occur. Uh, and we need to keep our brothers and sisters in prayer. And I know we've prayed twice already, but I just want to pray for these guys. Would you do that with me? I know it's third time. The third time's a charm. Let's spend a minute in prayer. So, Father, we, do, we don't want to just use this as an illustration, but we, want, uh, we know you answer prayer. And so, Father, I pray that you would give grace to these folks. They've been through, they've been through it. And um, the churches down there, I'm sure, are trying to rally and help their communities. Bless them. Give them resources and help. And may you somehow, may you use this as an illustration of your grace. So just work through these folks. Give them encouragement and hope, and may you be seen even in the middle of tragedy in ways that, Lord, maybe you couldn't be seen when things are going good. So we just give them to you and ask that you would bless them and, and, uh, and give them grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought about this as I was thinking about our, our time talking this morning because... Sometimes when we live our Christian lives or even before we come to know the Lord, we, we do things and we make decisions and we, we, we act certain ways and we don't understand the full repercussions of the decisions and the actions that we make, that we do, until long afterwards. When you come to, to know the Lord, He gives you a new life. He gives you a new name. He gives you a new everything. I mean, you are new. That's why Jesus calls it born again. You start all over again. It's wonderful. However, because we live in a sinful world and because we make sinful decisions, sometimes the repercussions of our sin bleeds over even after we come to know the Lord. Our past choices no longer <clears throat> are held against us by God, but the repercussions of those choices might last for generations. Christ promises a new, us a new beginning, but the damage may still remain. And this is actually where we find Abram in our story today. So if you have your Bibles, you like to turn your Bibles, it's, uh, we're in Genesis 14, verse 4. Abram has just returned from Egypt back to the promised land. He's trying to do things right. 
Um, Lot, he just divided up the land with Lot because there's a lot of infighting. Again, he makes a pragmatic decision. He says, there's lots of land here and there's lots of sheep. Let's just divide the place up. Lot chooses to go over actually beyond the promised land toward the, the land of what would later become known as Moab. But Abram stays within the promised land and God reiterates to him his promise that he is going to give them all this land that he can see. Remember, as far as the north and the south and the east and the west. So the first thing I want to talk to you is repentance does not eliminate repercussions. I think Abram's heart was getting right with God. It was like, okay, I've learned my lesson. I'm going to lie about my wife anymore. Remember that in Egypt? I'm not going to lie to save my own hide. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to leave the promised land because I can't realize God's promises if I'm in Egypt. And he comes back to Bethel. He he's makes some good, solid, repentant moves. But then something bad happens. War breaks out. Two factions. I'm going to give you a little bit of the background, because if you read it in Genesis 14, it gets a li- you get a little bit lost with all the names, all right? But here's what, yeah, which is what, uh, Char- um, um, which is what uh, Shannon was going to uh, read to you this morning. I said, don't, don't read those names. It's, it's uh, way confusing, all right? Uh, I'll give it into a nutshell. There's four kings and five kings. Four against five. Say four against five. All right, four are from where Abram used to live, over in the Mesopotamian ba- Valley, and five are where Abram now lives, right down to the Dead Sea. So you have four kings against five. The Euphrates River, these, this way back in Mesopotamia where he was at Ur, these kings get together, and what happened was, about 13 years earlier, one of the main kings from there named Shalom, that guy decided that he was going to bring over three of his buddies and they were going to enslave all the people that lived in what we now know as Israel. So they did. Thirteen years prior to this story, he conquers them. And then he leaves them and he says, okay, you're conquered, but you can live on your own with your own kings and all of that, but you must pay us taxes, right? And we all know what that means. That means that we are, yeah, we're under the thumb of whoever decides how much those taxes are going to be. Well, not here in America, we have, we're represented, right? Why are you laughing at that? We're represented, aren't we? Yeah. Not in Illinois. <laughs> but in this day, uh, they could decide whatever they wanted it to be, and they had these folks under their thumb. Here, let me read it to you in verse 4. Twelve years, they had served Shadorlamor. Uh, Chedorlamor. We're going to call him Cheddar, all right? But in the 13th year, they rebelled. The 14th year, Cheddar and the kings who were with him visited. So they decide, we're going to pay taxes. They get tired of it, and they decide they're not going to pay them in the the 12th year. On the 13th year, they get a visit from guess who? Those four kings. So they made payments. They were good. But then the four kings show up, and we have big war, big battle. All right? Here it is in verse 8. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they, those are the five kings. Those are the five in what we now know as Israel area, okay? They did battle in the valley of Shinnom with Cheddar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Giom, uh, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elazar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of them, that means they were losing, by the way. You flee if you're losing. 
when they fled, some, of, uh, some fell into them, and the rest fled into the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their possessions, provisions, and they went their way. They also took who, church? They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and they went their way. The five kings lose to the four kings. Sodom falls. And whoever wasn't murdered was taken into captivity. And Lot was taken as one of these uh, people taken into captivity. Him, him and his possessions. Um, now it's interesting that uh, this, this actually, there's archaeological proof of this uh, invasion. And it was a big war. It's actually the first war that we have recorded in scripture. We're about to have a whole lot more. But this is the very first instance of war that we have recorded. Abram gets, well, Lot gets involved because Lot is living in one of the cities that gets captured. Now, Abram is faced with a decision. What is he going to do with Lot? Abram can't get away from this guy. No matter, even though he repented from bringing him, even though he tried to kick him out and divide up the spoils with him, even though he gave him his own chunk of land, he can't get Lot as a thorn out of his side. And so the decision he made to bring Lot with him keeps catching up to him. Look what happens in verse 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamar, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Anar. These were allies of Abraham. One more interesting thing. We have the first instance of somebody called a Hebrew. And who is it? Abram. Abram is called a Hebrew for the very first time. Do you know where Abram used to live? Ur. And where did the kings come from? The bad kings came from Ur. It's interesting that the people that were attacking the new people were Abram's old people. And now they get a faction together and they start fighting against it. And Abram is probably thinking to himself, what am I supposed to do? Because he knew these kings. He had lived under their regime. And now they come for 75 years. He'd lived under them, and now they come with their buddies to, put, uh, to enslave all these folks again so that they can get them to pay most likely even a higher tribute at this point. Because not only are they going to charge them taxes, they're going to charge them more because of the cost of war. And the losers have to pay for that. They killed a bunch of people, they razed the cities, and yet this is the first time, interestingly enough, the Bible wants us to know that Abram is no longer from that area. Abram isn't a part of these guys. He now is a Hebrew. He's changed his place. He let go of his father in Haran. He let go of his fear in Egypt. He let go of Lot in Canaan. And now Abram has fully started to build a family, a new nation. And the Bible calls him a Hebrew. I just think that's really cool. But Abram is still dealing with the repercussions of his former disobedience, bringing a lot with him. What do you think is going through his mind at this point? Now, you need to know, Abram is in the hill country. He hears the war going on, but he's safe. There's no war taking place in the hill country. Where Abram chose to go, right around Bethel area, there's no war. So he doesn't have to get involved with this. And yet, these guys who escape come and tell him, listen, dude, your nephew's in trouble. He got captured, his whole family's gone, all his possessions are gone. They just took him across the desert. What do you want us to do? Now, what do you think is going on in Abram's mind? What are some things that might be going on? Lot, 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 lot. 
<laughs> okay, why did Lot choose Sodom? Do you remember that? It was a beautiful place. It was a green, lush area, right? All the right reasons. But Sodom existed outside of the promised land. So what if you were Abraham? What could you be thinking at this point? You make your bed. You lie. Lot, you chose to go among Sodom. I told you to stay in the promised land. I told you this was our area. You went beyond the borders. It's your own fault. Or what about this? Do you remember how the Bible has already described Sodom? It describes it already as a very wicked city. So what do you think else is going on in Abram's mind? I'd be thinking to myself, Lot, dude, you chose to live among those people. That, that was your decision, and you've got to pay for those decisions. Yeah. Or you could say, you know, oh, judgment came on Sodom. <laughs> I didn't see that coming, did you? Right? Abram could say, obviously God's going to judge Sodom. Instead, Abram makes a decision, actually, to go rescue Lot. So here's my question to you. I don't, think, I don't think he felt like he could let Lot go. I think he felt like Lot was his responsibility because he brought him with him. He told him what was coming. He told him about the promise. He said, do you want to be a part of this? Come be a part of this. And I think a part of him felt responsibility for Lot. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever made a decision you regretted afterwards? Anyone? <laughs> My grandmother uh, made us uh, when my dad and mom were away, we were uh, at home, and she came and babysat us for a while. I was very young. I don't remember how young I was, but I was young. And she made us this um, marshmallow uh, peanut butter-like uh, pie. It, it had no crust on it. It was just marshmallows and peanut butter, and it was fantastic. And she baked it, and she put it out to cool, and I was in the house, and I could smell it, and I... I didn't really, my grandmother and I didn't really get along that well, and so I wasn't really concerned about her feelings, but I was really interested in the pie, and I don't know what got into me, because normally I would never have done this, but I took a piece of it, and I thought, this is fantastic. This is the best thing I've ever had, and so I had another piece. I didn't ask, and I had, I had another piece, and I had another, and before I knew it, I ate the whole pan, the whole thing. I don't, to this day, I don't know why I, I did such a thing. I think, I, I, I don't know, uh, demon-possessed, I don't know. But I ate the whole thing. She comes into the kitchen and realizes the whole pie is gone. Oh, man, did I pay for that. But I didn't just pay for it in, like, taking something that I shouldn't have taken without asking. That night, my stomach felt terrible. I don't know whether I ate anything the whole day or that was about it for the day, but here's what I know. Don't live on peanut butter and marshmallow. It doesn't do well in your stomach. And I gotta tell you also one other thing. To this day, I cannot eat peanut butter and marshmallow. Can't do it. I like marshmallows, I like peanut butter in some ways, but you put them together and I feel like I am gonna have a very bad day. This is not a decision that Abraham made that gave him a stomachache. This is a decision that was life or death. He brought Lot with him and now he was forced to make a life or death decision. Will he save Lot, which I know he feels guilty and he should, or will he just say, you know what, he chose his own way. God wanted obviously to destroy the city or wouldn't let this happen. He could have made a hundred different, uh, different excuses. 
but he ends up actually going to save him. Abraham had decided if he was going to be responsible for Lot's welfare, and he was. So one more thing that he had, he also, um, in this repercussions, he had to put his allies at risk. Did you, did you catch that in the verse? That Abram had allies? That's pretty cool, eh? He's in this new land, and he's already made friends to the point where these guys are going to help him save his family. Those are pretty important friends. Abram was in the whole country of Judea. He didn't have to do anything, but this friend comes up, one of the allies comes up, says what happened, and he makes a decision to go rescue Lot. So the thing that I get out of this, I love this because here's what I put down. Faith makes us independent from, not indifferent to, the plight of sin others walk into. Did I put that up there as a slide? I don't remember if I did, because it's brilliant. Oh yeah, this is good. So here's a great, uh, here's a great tweet. Faith makes us independent from, not indifferent to, the plight of sin others walk into. Why do you get involved with the decisions that others have made that the, leaves them with repercussions they still deal with today? The drug dealer who lived with selling drugs his whole life, gives his life to Jesus, and has to live with terrible repercussions his entire life. How much time do you owe him? How much love do you owe him? Somebody who comes to know the Lord after a life of sin and they have repercussions they have to deal with, what do you owe them? Technically, you don't owe them anything. You could easily say like Cain, am I my brother's keeper? By the way, do you know the correct answer to that? Yes, yes you are. You know that because in the New Testament it says, in love, let us bear the burdens of one another. We are called to bear each other's burdens. Whether, unconditionally, whether we, whether we say they deserve it, that it's because of their bad decisions, because of blank or blank, we owe them grace because we have been given grace. So Abraham makes a decision to get involved with Lot, even though he didn't really make any of the decisions that Lot got himself into this whole case over. Okay, verse 14. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, led Forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in his pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, pursuing them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back all the kinsmen, Lot, uh, brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions, and the women and the people. Abram's decision to go into battle put his allies at risk. These guys had to love Abram. I love having friends like that. Now, do you want to know where Lot went back to? Guess where Lot went back to? Sodom. Right? Right back home. And Abram would have to save his butt again in a very, very difficult way. Lot's decisions continue, actually, to leave him with repercussions, and so we're going to take a little detour, but use it as one of our main points, because we're going to get back to Lot and his bad decisions, but I can't leave you without this big one. Lot's decision to go back to uh, Sodom left repercussions that can reverberate for generations. Um, skip ahead to chapter 19, all right? And I hate skipping ahead, but we've got to do it. Abram goes back to the promised land, contrasted with Lot going back to Sodom. Do you think Abram probably talked to Lot and said, dude, get out of that hole. Don't go back there. And yet Abram, uh, Lot goes right back there because he was used to it, this godless culture. 
And because of that, Lot dealt with some major repercussions. The next time judgment would come to Sodom, it would come by the hand of God himself. You know the fire that rains down from heaven. You remember all of this story, right? We're going to get there eventually. But that's found in the beginning of chapter 19. I want to go to the end of that because I want you to see the repercussions of these bad decisions. Number one, because Lot went back to Sodom, the love for Sodom ruled Lot's wife and in his family's hearts. They fought God. When you, when you get to where God is saying, I'm going to destroy the city, they fought God to stay in the city. <laughs> God had to send an angel to get them out, and they fought against him because they loved it so much. They loved where they were so much, they didn't want to leave. Now, that is some severe tentacles inside of you from the world, don't you think? God himself is saying, please, get out of the city. I'm not just saying that. Bad things are about to happen like you've never seen before. you got to run away. And they're going, no, no, we're good. We're going to stay. you got to be severely hardened to make decisions like that, right? And yet, how often do we do the same? We know because God makes it clear in his word what we're not supposed to do and what we are supposed to do. And God, God sends us people and says, please, don't do this godly people that come alongside of us and we say no no i got this i know what i'm doing and we stay in the situation even though it is peeling our skin off our bones we stay lot chose to stay we know that his wife loved the city because she couldn't run away without looking back it turned into a pillar of salt we'll get to the story don't read ahead repercussion number two lot's family thought completely as the world thought. No faith in God. Lot's children, after the, you know, the sulfur falls from heaven and the city burns to a crisp, Lot and his family escape. They run into the caves. Lot is short a wife, but he's got two daughters. And these two daughters think exactly like the world. Now, the two daughters see the city burning, and to them, they've gone already through all of this, you know, the war and decimation and people dying and cities destroyed. And they literally think at this point in their lives that nothing else exists in the world. Every person in every place has been destroyed. They think this fire raining from God is the final destruction. And they think everybody's dead. And so, they are left with their dad. <laughs> they do not want to live with just them and their dad, they got to figure out a solution. And so they come up with one. And here's what they come up with, verse 30. Lot went up out of Zohar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zohar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father's old, and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. They thought everything was destroyed, remember? Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we'll lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. The firstborn went in and lay with her father, but she didn't know. Uh, but he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. He was drunk. I don't even want to explain that. You get it. Repercussion number three: the culture of Sodom had taken so much root in these daughters' lives that the second daughter not only, thinks, not only thinks to herself, I wonder if this is right to do. She thinks it was brilliant, and she thinks, what if it doesn't take? What if my sister doesn't conceive? So she decides, just to be sure, she'll do the same thing. 
Verse 34, the next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let's make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. The younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know what, when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The culture of Sodom had permeated into the lives of these people who had been exposed to the grace of God. And it made them think culture was right and God was losing. Repercussion number four. This decision of Lot's daughters haunted the family of Abraham for thousands of years. You wonder why I'm reading this to you. Maybe that's a little, little uh, harsh for you, but I need to because you need to see these repercussions. The firstborn, verse 37, bore a son and named him Moab. Does that name ring a bell for any of you? Yeah, Moabites. And if that doesn't ring a bell for you, you're going to be pretty shocked in a few seconds here. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger son, all, the younger also bore a son and called his name Benami. He is the father of the Ammonites. Have you heard those names before? Look at this map. These two factions, the Moabites and the Ammonites, were constant thorns in the sides of Israel for thousands of years. The Moabites and the Ammonites were constantly into hedonism, idolatry, just name something bad and they liked it. They hated Israel and they warred against Israel continually. Where did Israel come from? Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's where we get Israel from. That's where we get the line of Christ from. These guys, the Ammonites and the Moabites, came from Lot's bad decisions, his choice to live in Sodom, to bore culture into the lives of his daughters, so that the only way they thought was not godly, it was completely broken culture. <laughs> so I did a little study. This took some time because there's a lot the Bible says about Ammon. Here's some highlights. In Deuteronomy 2, Lot would get the land of Ammon as a possession for his children, which he did. Judges 3, the Ammonites joined with the Amalekites to enslave Israel. Judges 11, they fought against Israel and the judge Jephthah. 1 Samuel 11, they demanded all Israel gouge out their right eye if they were too scared to fight in another war with them because they were constantly beating them. 2 Samuel 10, they warred against David. 2 Samuel 12, they, uh, they killed. These were the guys that killed Uriah the Hittite. This was the people that David's battle was against when he shoved Uriah against the wall so that they dropped a rock on his head. This is the battle. He used the Ammonites to kill Uriah the Hittite so he could have Bathsheba, his, her, his uh, wife. 2 Chronicles 20, 27, they warred against Israel. 1 Kings 11 and 23, they worshiped Moloch. Do you know anything about Moloch? Moloch was a great idol. They would put his hands over this fire and they would bring their children and put the children into his hands until they died with the heat, heated up hands. Jeremiah 25, they, they were lumped in with Egypt, Philistia, Tyre, Sidon, Babylon, all the enemies of God. Psalm 83, they constantly conspired against Israel. Amos 1, you can read it. Did I put Amos? I took Amos 1 out of there because it's really gross, but... Any Israeli pregnancies, they terminated in terrible ways. That's the Ammonites. These are the descendants of Lot, who Abraham risked his life to save. 
Should we just let, what do you think? Should we just let Lot die? (laughs) Looking back on it, that might have been the brighter decision, right? Well, maybe the Moabites got better. The Ammonites, they're gone. Here's the Moabites, Numbers 22. Again, just a few. They hired Balaam to curse Israel. Remember Balaam? Yeah, he's he's a guy that had the talking donkey. Do you remember that? It's a great story. Judges 3, he enslaved Israel. Uh, Moabites enslaved Israel. Judges 10, they filled their land with idols, including Chemosh. He did just as bad, uh, it required just as bad sacrifices as Moloch. Judges 11, wouldn't let Israel through their land. 1 Samuel 14, they fought against Israel and Saul. 2 Kings 3, they warred against Israel again. 1 Chronicles 11 18, and 18, warred against David. Constant war, constant war. So you know what God thinks of these two areas? Zephaniah 2, verse 8. This is fast forward some time here. I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits, a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. Not good stuff. You want to know how God really felt about Ammon and Moab? He said, when you build the temple, Israel, you can let anyone in except for two groups. Do you know who they were? Moabites and Ammonites. Here's the verse. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord ever. (laughs) The godless actions of a man who should have known better sent ripples and repercussions into his daughter's lives and into their children's lives and their children's lives and their children's lives for generations. And you read these stories in the Old Testament and think to yourself, how did these people become so bad? It is because one person made bad decisions and refused to live godly and those ripples extended to where they became a flood. I don't want to leave you there, though. That's a terrible place to leave you, right? So the last, last one is, is the best one. Here's the last one. Repercussions do not negate God's promises. Abram is thinking at the time, I am not going to do what Lot's doing. I'm going to continue to make good decisions, even though he has to save Lot and his family and And he does it later on, even we're going to get to that story. Abram is thinking, I am not going to make the bad decisions Lot is making. I'm going to make continual godly decisions. But he has to be thinking, is this all because God is mad at me? Have you ever thought that? Like, are all these bad things happening because God is angry with me? You ever think about that? (laughs) That's a natural way to think. And I can't help but to think, Abram must be thinking this way also. But here's the most amazing thing about God. His mercy is new every morning. (laughs) You can never fall so far away from God that he stops forgiving you. You You can never deny him enough that he stops giving you grace. Peter denied him three times when he needed them the most, and he showed up and forgave him all three times after he rose from the dead. Paul persecuted the church, and Paul became a massive giant 
for God in the New Testament. Name them, person after person after person made bad decisions and God rescues them in grace. And the reason he does that is because his grace is seen better when he can make our sins right. He can even use our failures for his glory. Paul the Apostle said, I can brag about all the stripes and all the beatings and all the things that have happened to me, but I'm not going to brag about that. You know what I'm going to brag about? The fact that God is still gracious to me. I brag on one thing, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ, because that represents God's grace to people who constantly drop the ball. It is a poor way of thinking theology if you think that God is angry with you, because God is forgiving to you. God, think of him like, I can't wait to pour out grace. Now, our decisions may leave us with repercussions. They very well may. So we need to learn from that and start making the right decisions, which is exactly what Abram chose to do. Lot still made the bad decisions. Abraham still made the right decisions. So you know what God does for Abraham? This is the best part of the story. Abram comes back to the land, and God brings this guy out of nowhere. This guy who, like, he blows my mind. His name is Melchizedek. Have you ever heard of this guy before? Melchizedek is spoken of all the way through Scripture. This guy has, in, in fact, in this passage of Scripture, we don't have the, the time to research it. You can on your own. But it says he has no beginning. There's, there's no generational background we can give you on this guy. All we know is that he was a priest of the Lord. Now that blows my mind because there is no priesthood. There's no, there's no priesthood. Moses and Aaron haven't even showed up yet. And yet this guy is described as a priest of God and he lives in Canaan. This is the worst place on the globe to live. And yet there is a priest devoted to God who lives in the land of Canaan. And you know who God brings to Abram to let him know he's not done with him yet? Melchizedek. Blows me away. After his return, verse 17, from the defeat of Cheddar, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Do you know why God does this for Abram? One reason. He wants Abram to know he hasn't failed to the point of no return. In fact, there's no way you can fail to that point because God's grace is way too big. He allows Abram to see a glimpse of grace that allows him to know that God's still with him. Repercussions and blessings can operate hand in hand, but you can never fall into a hole so deep God's grace can't rescue you. And even if you've made bad decisions that are re resulting in repercussions today, you can see the grace of God in the middle of those repercussions. You can see his grace, you can see his mercy, you can see if you just take the time and look. God will help you see victory, give you amazing blessings, even when you have to live with repercussions of bad decisions. Abram needed to know he was still in God's good graces. And so this man named, Mal now, named Malchizedek shows up. Let me show you one verse in Hebrews. Hebrews. There's verses all throughout Scripture that talk about this. Here's one from Hebrews 6. This man who does not have a descendant from them received tithes from Abraham 
and blessed him who had the promise. It is beyond dispute. The inferior is blessed by in Hebrews 7. It is talking about the fact that Melchizedek was superior to Abram. And Melchizedek shows up. We've never heard of this guy before. Shows, uh, Abram's got 14 chapters dedicated to him. Melchizedek's got a couple of verses. But this guy is a priest of God, a king of a city, and he shows up and he blesses Abram. Some commentators think he was an angel. Ambrose, actually, uh, one of our church fathers, thinks that he was a pre-incarnate Jesus. Calvin thought that he was just a guardian of religion in the area. It's interesting, he was a king of a place called Salem. Do you know what Salem means? Yeah, Shalom. Salem means peace. He was a king and a priest, which is not allowed in Old Testament law, and yet this guy, again, blows the conventional wisdom away. No priestly line. This guy lives in Canaan, and he loves God. And when Abram sees him, now this is really cool. Abram gave him a tenth of all that he had. Don't you think that's really, there's no Levitical law. He doesn't know he should give him a tenth of anything. But Abram knows this. You ever meet somebody that you just go, you know, that person must be a Christian. They just have to be a Christian. You ever meet somebody like that? You ever meet somebody who go, there's no way that guy can be a Christian. (laughs) Right? Well, all right, so... So put all that aside. But if you ever met somebody, you go, I just, I just, I know that they're a believer, right? Doesn't that give you a great feeling? It, it does because you think to yourself, God put us together. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a cashier or, or just a, a voice of encouragement that you need somewhere along the way. And you just go, you, you are a Christian, right? And, and they go, yeah, I love Jesus. You love Jesus. And you just mess. You know, you, you connect. Abram meets this guy. He doesn't know him from Adam. And they connect. I think these guys must have had an amazing conversation. Abram had to tell him about the promise of God. You know, God promised me this land. And Melchizedek's probably going, oh, God, please get rid of these Canaanites. I'm so tired of them. Bring in Abram and his prodigy. Let's get this going. This is our promise. They must have talked for hours, but we're not told about any of it. All we're told is that God gives Abram this guy named Melchizedek who loved the Lord, and Abram loved the Lord, and they must have had an amazing moment of connection. The king of Sodom speaks up, <laughs> this loser. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me, give me persons, but take the goods for you. He lost the war. He's only rescued because Lot goes out and does a brilliant, uh, a brilliant uh, movement in the, in, in the evening, in the, in the late at night, makes them think that there's way more people than there are 300 and some people that were going against them, and he rescues the king of Sodom, apparently, and a bunch of people from Sodom, including Lot. So Sodom, this king, this wonderful guy, begins to negotiate with Abram and say, why don't you keep this and I'll keep this. (laughs) And we're never told about much of a conversation that Abram has with either of these guys, but it's very clear that his heart was toward Melchizedek and turned away from this king of Sodom. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted up my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal or a strap or anything that is yours, lest you say I've made Abraham rich. You know what Abraham said? I don't even, I'm not even taking a shoe from you guys. I deserve it. I, I saved your rear end. I deserve everything, but I'm not taking a thing. Why did he say that? Because I think Abraham finally understood that Everything he had and every blessing that he had came from the Lord, not 
from human beings, not from reasonable thinking, not from reasonable ideas, all right, or, or pragmatic ideas. All right, um, Abram was done with the sure thing, and he was ready to depend on the Lord for his well-being. So what? Here's some so what's. Number one, don't blame God for your personal bad decisions. <laughs> Sometimes we do, right? Why are all these bad things happening to me? Well, let's just sit down and think about what led to all of these bad things happening, right? <laughs> Why does my car always break down? Well, dude, you gotta put oil in your car, number one, right? You don't put oil in your car, you're gonna have problems. You don't take care of your car, you're gonna have problems, right? So in our lives, we think to ourselves, why do all these bad things happen? Probably if we took some time, we can trace our own decisions back and realize that maybe some of the things we're dealing with is because we have made some bad decisions, right? So don't always blame God for personal, actually don't ever blame God for personal bad decisions. If we're honest with ourselves, some of the repercussions we deal with we've asked for. Number two, don't think God is done with you even though you may be still living with the repercussions of past decisions. God is never done with you. When he's done with, the, when he's done with you, you will stop breathing. But until that moment, God is not done with you. If you're here, God has a plan for your life. And the repercussions of bad decisions that you have made in the past will not overwhelm him in his plans for your life. You cannot thwart God's sovereign plan, even with your sin. Because if you surrender it to Jesus, he can use your sin, even your sin, even your bad decisions for his glory. God can use anything. That's what makes him so amazing, so full of grace. Number four, or three, number three, choose this day whom you will serve and cut down on the repercussions you may live with later. Do you know what that means? Yeah, that's good. Actually, I, th I think I actually had that verse and took it down because it didn't fit on the screen. Yeah, Joshua stands up and he says, you people are all idol worshipers. He said, go ahead, continue to worship the idols. See what happens from those decisions. And then Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we need in this generation. Church, we need people that will stand up and say, regardless of what's happening around me, regardless of the world and their, the cultural influences in my life, as for me and my house, we are going to do what's right. Now that takes work, but the payoff, the payoff is huge. <laughs> Would you rather be in this day, on Israel's side or Moab and Ammon. Number four, God's mercy is greater than our repercussions. This is the message that bleeds through this entire story. God's mercy is greater than our repercussions. Let me give you a real-time example of that and we'll go to communion. Here it is. Who do you know <laughs> in the Old Testament who is an outstanding Moabite? Let me give you a hint. Oh, very good, yes, Ruth. I was gonna say Moabites, which would have let the cat out of the bag. That's right. She was from the land of Moab, Ruth. What's that? Yes, she was part of God's grace. She lived in an ungodly culture, descendants of Sodom themselves. Well, they're all burned up, but you know, the people who were influenced by that city, 
That is the culture she grew up in. And when Naomi and her family decided that they would go find food, they went to Moab. They had food there. Just like Abram went to Egypt. It seemed logical. And they stayed there for years. Long enough for her three, er, for her three sons to marry. And they did. And they all married Israelites or Moabites? They all married Moabites. Because that's the culture they grew up in. All three sons and dad bought the farm. Kicked the bucket. And now... Naomi has to go find out how she's going to survive. So she decides to go home. The daughters leave except for, and she tells them to go. She says, listen, you're Moabites. I'm going to go back to Israel with a bunch of Moabite girls, and it's not going to go well with us. No Israelite is ever going to marry you. Let me tell you about one verse. that God, yeah. God doesn't want you to go into the temple, much less on the land. You're not allowed over here. All right. So this is the right decision. Don't come with me. And so the girls go back except for one, and her name was Ruth. And Ruth gives this, <laughs> gives this wonderful uh, verse that we read at every wedding. <laughs> Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Do you remember that? That's Ruth. That's the Moabite. She looks at Naomi and she says, I love you too much, even though you're a cranky old woman. I love you too much to let you go home and die. And so I'm going to go with you. And I may die if I go, but I love you too much to let you go. And she goes back with Naomi to Israel, where she is not accepted. She has to work like a beggar and pick up pieces of grain that are left on the edge of the field just to survive. And then this guy comes along, and he notices her. And his name was Boaz. Boaz notices her, and he takes an interest in her. And Naomi plots how to get Boaz's heart. And together they work and they get Boaz's love. And he begins to love Ruth. And because of that, Naomi, he eventually marries Ruth. Naomi is saved. Ruth is saved. And their generations after them are saved. Now, did you know Ruth was King David's grandmother? the first king of Israel, the king through which we would get Jesus Christ came from Ruth and Boaz. So, that's a great story, right? All it does is remind me that God's mercy is greater than our repercussions. There's nowhere that you can fall too far from the grace of God. But, Stop being Lot. <laughs> Stop making the decisions that leave repercussions. Give your life to Jesus, and you know, because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you are a believer, you know what God expects of you. You know that still small voice. You must yield to it. To it. You must give your life to being filled on a regular basis, or you will live with repercussions that will last for a lifetime. God will still give you grace, but you may still live with repercussions. And so my greatest advice to you is the same advice I give to my kids. Live for Christ today and see what he has for you tomorrow. Let's pray. I'm grateful, Father, for this story of, this, this amazing true story 
of Abram and Lot and what it means to make decisions and the repercussions they may have on our lives. Pray, Father, that you would help us to receive this word that you have given to us this morning. I pray that it would fall on fertile soil and take root. And I pray that you would be pleased with us as we receive it and put it into practice. Help us to be the kind of people that don't get wooed by a culture, but live to change it. All for the glory of God. May we redeem every parcel of property we live on, every screen that we use, every vehicle we drive, every child we raise. May we redeem it all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Use our lives like like you want to use them. And may your grace permeate through even our failures as we surrender more to you this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.